that everyone says you have to you either use tabs or you use spaces and then you get to go the most elegant solution is that they use a combination Sean, why don't you just, uh, you've been on the show once before with uh, the episode we did with the guys from Intellect uh, about the Intellect Challenge. For the listeners who haven't heard that show, could you just introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, so I work at Intellect. I also founded a company last year called Prolific Idea. Um, At Intellect, I'm a team lead. I have a few teams there. We're working on various projects for you know in various industries and um, sort of tech agnostic. We don't um, try to limit ourselves to specific technology. Um, the prolific idea front, I'm trying to build the community and also build some cool products um, and just get more involved in the local dev community and try to help people grow. That's cool. I've seen these code offs that you've been doing in the ZA Developers Slack. Uh, every Friday. That's under the prolific idea banner, is that right? Yeah, it is. Um, so what I decided to do is I've had all of these ideas for initiatives and products and things that I want to do, and I decided to just put it all under under that prolific idea brand. Um, I wanted it to be like a fun sort of uh, casual brand, not something very corporate or associated to something very corporate. Yeah, but it is a company that you've uh, that you've created. Yeah, I actually uh, founded it last year. The primary purpose of, of um, registering the company was the XPRIZE um, learning competition. I don't know how much you guys know about that, but it's basically XPRIZE is an organization that have various challenges. Um, one is learning. One is science, where uh, they challenge people to make robots that can explore the moon Um they have things around energy where they challenge people to be innovative in creating new ways to generate or conserve energy. So the one that I was interested in is the learning challenge. And in that challenge, we basically have to create an innovative way for children in underprivileged areas to learn basic numeracy and literacy just using an Android tablet um, and one teacher deployed in a village of you know 40 to 80 kids Um, and that's actually the reason why i founded the company because that was a requirement for the competition and coming out of that um, i just found that a lot of the things i believe in fit you know with with what i'm trying to do with that project and that's how the company sort of came about well now that is pretty cool um just the initiative that uh, that you're getting involved there so uh are are you busy working on something for the uh, for that competition or has that finished now where where, where does that stand i'm still busy trying to come up with something so up till now it's been mainly research and gathering content and trying to figure out the actual design of um, how this thing's going to work and how it's going to teach children and the psychology of how children learn and things that actually motivate um, children to learn there hasn't been much development on it um, from a tech perspective. 
the deadline is only in I think October or November. But my my aim isn't to win here or um, try to build the best solution for it. I just I thought it'd be something cool to be involved in. And I mean, even beyond the challenge, I think people can find uses in the software, whether it's for their research or if they're doing uh, master's research or PhD research, or if we could use it um, and pilot it here with kids that don't have access to to school. So I've, I've, I think there's a lot of uses for it. Um, and I guess it hasn't been sort of top priority recently, but it's something that we're working on in the background. Yes, this sounds like one of those projects that even if you coded it, it would have been 99% preparation and research. Is there like some interesting stuff you can share from it you might have just stumbled upon or stuff that we wouldn't think about, um, you know, when, when thinking of teaching kids how to count? I think the main thing that I've learned from all of the research and sort of spending the, limit, the limited time I've spent with some of the kids um, is storytelling and how important that is and how that sort of motivates children to learn or gets them excited about learning and actually um, engages them, which is, uh, I think, as engineers or developers or you know guys in the technical industry, we don't think about stories. We think about uh, the logical way to solve a problem. Whereas with stories, it's very, you could almost say emotional. Um, it's creative. It's, it's a different sort of take on how you approach the problem rather than, okay, step one, step two, step three, and then I reach my goal. So I think that was one of the most interesting things that I've learned personally. I suppose that in, in a story... Uh, you're engaging the person at a point that they're uh, that they want to focus on what you're telling them to fo follow the story or something that's entertaining, uh, and it almost becomes a byproduct that they happen to be learning in the process. No, definitely. I think that's one of the sort of strategies with the app is to build an application or a sort of game-like application where the child doesn't pick up the tablet and say, "Now I'm going to learn." They pick up the tablet saying, I really enjoy, you know, the experience I have with this with this tablet. And in that process, they're still learning. So yeah. I think as, as soon as they have an intention of, okay, I need to pick this up and learn, there's immediately a sort of um, a chore that they have to do, which might demotivate them and limit how much they learn in that experience. I remember when I was in primary school, my mom used to take us, me and my brother, to um, this kind of lab. I can't remember what the name was. It was like a franchise. But basically it was we went to go play games, but it taught us math in the process. And mm -hmm. you just do your thing, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and the irony of, of making math or new, like, okay, so math and stories is I bought a book this weekend uh, called The Magic of Math, and this guy is both a mathematician and a magician. So he like takes math and wraps it up in, in these little stories and settings and, and stuff. And it's, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun, but I mean, early days, I can't pick it just yet. That's the thing is that you, it, it, in a story kind of setting, you can distract your brain from the fact that it's actually learning things and keep it entertained while it is learning. things. I remember growing up how, um, I would just be watching things on Cartoon Network and things like that. 
and weeks or months later uh, have recall of or be able to recall things that I learned by watching these cartoons uh, and things that my parents would then ask me, oh no, where did you learn that? No, Cartoon Network. So if uh, if there's ever a motivation of saying, you know, don't let your kids watch cartoons because they're not educational, I can, I beg to differ. Well, and, and Sesame Street, you know, I don't know, like what's happened in recent years, but at least when when I was a kid, that like they worked really hard to teach you numbers and language and values and morals. And I'm sure not everybody agreed with everything in there, but I could read and write English before I could read and write Afrikaans, which is my first language. Mm-hmm. And just because of Sesame Street. And my mom was a remedial teacher. So she was just like, you guys are going to watch this. And, and knew like it took a load off her and we get taught in ways that she wouldn't teach us. And afterwards we'll just, you know, carry on, but it makes a hell of a difference. So it's, it's quite a challenge. Um, and it's you know, kudos for taking it on, Michelle. Like, wow. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, um, so I had a couple people helping me with it, but um, currently it's just me. And honestly, if there's guys passionate about this sort of initiative, I'm open to, to people joining the team and giving some input as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. One of our listeners are keen. Uh, we'll <coughs> put the links on, in the show notes to get involved. And um, other than the X Prize, I mean, wow, that was such a cool story. I mean, from one banner on your website, I think you need to make a nice page that explains it a bit more. <laughs> um, the the weekly code offs you guys have been having now, I think there's been 13 now. Am I right? Yeah, we've had 13 code offs. I think we had like a two week break where we didn't really um, post anything. But basically, where that came from is. Also, um, I don't know if you've noticed the YouTube channel with some of the talks we do on a Friday. So it all actually started there. Um, So I wanted to do weekly knowledge sharing sessions within my team. And how we actually started doing it was um, I have a roulette wheel, a website that had a roulette wheel. I put everyone's name on it on a Monday. And we'd spin it. And whoever it landed on would have to do a 15-minute talk on a Friday um, on anything, literally anything. It could be how they solved a problem. It could be on an interesting article they read. It could be on a new technology they found. So that's how it all started. And what ended up happening was the the team enjoyed it so much that I don't have to spin the wheel anymore. I get volunteers every week and the guys just share their, share their thoughts. So we, we've had talks on random things like making music with code, We've had talks on Docker. We've had talks on um, a lot of different interesting topics. And then what came from that as well is uh, when guys started mentioning new languages and new technologies and different problems, we realized we don't really have time to play around with it. Sure, we can go home and and try and play around with it. But I thought of creating these code-offs, which would give developers um, a chance to play around with the new tech or... Um, try and solve a problem that's different to their day-to-day job. What I find is if you if you get stuck in your day-to-day grind, you sort of lose touch with everything else, and sometimes you end up losing, you know, your your problem-solving skills, or they're not as sharp as they used to be. So that's the whole motivation for code off. So we try to make them as as simple, but also a bit challenging um, as possible. 
uh, we don't want to create big projects that people would take the whole weekend to complete or weeks to complete. So it's just a break from the daily grind and letting you do something different. That's really cool. Can you tell us what, uh, like, give us an example of one of the ones, maybe what the, the last one was you guys did this Friday? Yeah, so the last one is all about, or I read something interesting about gravitational waves. I don't know if you guys um, have been keeping up with that sort of news. Uh, not since it broke, but I heard a bit about that. Yeah, so I think there was an article on the detection of the second gravity or the second detection of gra gravitational waves, and I found that quite interesting. And that's what inspired the last code off, which is a very naive and probably very scientific, scientifically inaccurate representation of it. But the goal with the last one was to get people to read something interesting, in this case, gravitational waves, um, and maybe learn something new and to have something to sort of talk about uh, with their friends or colleagues. And I mean, it's always nice to learn something new in tech or science. And the other aspect was to give you something to, to tinker with. So I think basically in that challenge, what you have to do is propagate numbers from the edge of a of a grid to the center to determine um, what the gravitational wave intensity would be if we were detecting it here from Earth, and Earth is the center of that grid. So it's a bit of a, an abstract topic, but I, I think it I think it would be fun. I I tried it out. I had I had fun doing it. So that that is awesome. I'm busy checking out the documentation oh, that's very for cool. it. Yeah, well, we'll add a link to these um, in the show notes, people to to uh, go check out. I really think it's a good idea. What what's been your favorite one so far, or the favorite solution you've seen uh, from somebody? Um, I think there was one where we had to sort of fill liquids into buckets, and certain buckets could only hold certain liquids, and it wasn't really the problem that that was exciting. It was um, the contributions from from various people that that submitted for that one. So we had solutions in Haskell, in Node, in R, um, and I found that really cool that people solved the problem with various technologies. And if you go look at the code, I mean, you know, it's various different ways of thinking that were applied to solve the problem by the different people. And I found that. Um, really interesting. Not necessarily the problem, but the way they approach the problem. That's always lots to learn from other people's code. If somebody wants to see the, the solutions, are they available publicly? Yeah, so we have a we have some of the solutions and I've had some guys work on a little engine that would pull from GitHub um, all the forks of the code off repository and then run all of the solutions and determine um, if they were correct or not. That hasn't been working 100%, so I decided not to put it live yet. So the, the whole sort of goal there was to keep the solutions and you'd submit and you'd see how well you did. But I might be scrapping that whole idea and just allowing anyone to see the solution, anyone to contribute, because the whole point is to have fun and learn. So I don't think the whole scoring thing of, you know, you got it right or you got it wrong would really... Um, it doesn't really fit with with the goal of of the code offs. The goal is to have something fun for people to to try out. I don't want to make it something competitive. Oh, it might just turn into a war <laughs> unintendedly. <laughs> yeah, people would just be racing for points and trying to find the 
the easiest or hackiest solution. And then, you know, that's not really what we try to encourage. Yeah, I like that you're focusing so much on uh, having people explore something that's perhaps out of their comfort zone or outside of outside of the usual area that we'd be reading about. So um, you mentioned the gravitational waves example. Uh, I did a coding challenge a little while ago where um, I had to find or given a list of people and coordinates, I had to find all the people within a certain distance of a given longitude and latitude. And that gets into the great circles formula and problem, uh, great spheres. So, and that's also something where I had to go read and learn about how that something completely unrelated to programming works in order to solve a programming problem. Maybe that's an idea for the next one. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, it actually reminds me of, I forgot the name of it, it's Google's team-based coding challenge that happened earlier this year. They had something very similar where you had to, you had drones, you had packages and drones, certain drones could carry certain weights of packages and you had to deliver them from warehouses to different locations and you had to find the most optimal sort of instructions to give all of the drones. Um, that was a pretty interesting problem. Uh, and I think it sounds similar to what you just mentioned. Yeah, well, in order to find the straight line distance between two points on a sphere, there's a formula you can follow uh, to do that. And because the Earth is pretty close to spherical, uh, you can apply it here. So, yeah, you would use something like that to solve the drone problem, although that's far more involved than what I had to do. Uh, yeah, that challenge is pretty hectic. We were ambitious and we tried to build a genetic algorithm to solve it, but we ran out of time and ended up with something really crap. <laughs> <laughs> Just what's a genetic algorithm? Just helping you through the lingo? Okay, a genetic algorithm is a artificial intelligent um, algorithm. Basically, it's modeled on how genetics work. So if you have two chromosomes and um, that's made up of, of some sort of sequence and what happens is you generate random populations of those sequences and you use things like reproduction where you mix two of the chromosomes and you do some mutation where you change um, a small part of the chromosome. And then you evaluate that chromosome to see if it, um, it's most optimal towards your goal. And if it is, it lives on to the next generation. If it, if it isn't, then it sometimes dies off. So there's various techniques you can use. But the whole concept is around chromosomes, um, reproduction, mutation. It's basically modeled um, on genetic code. Oh, okay. So you guys got a Darwin Award then? <laughs> Survival <laughs> of the fittest. Oh, sorry. I just, I just wanted to make sure I get that, <laughs> get that one right. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think that drone challenge must be nuts because you think i don't know all like every country will have their own laws for the drones and i think in the state you're allowed to shoot the drone down if it's above your property so now you've got the <laughs> benefit of a drone but they have to fly on the streets basically <laughs> because they just go over some cranky person's corner and he shoots thing out there with a shotgun like it's perfectly <laughs> acceptable so yeah I, I guess it can be very nuanced very very quickly <laughs> Yeah, talking about drones, I don't know if you saw um, an article about they're testing the first passenger drone. And I just thought to myself, isn't that called a helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw this. You nailed it. <laughs> oh, no, a passenger drone. That's ridiculous. 
No, but there is something to be said there because uh, at some level, these drones can be flown by just writing code. Um, we saw Julian's presentation at Ruby Fusa this year, uh, where he was controlling a drone purely using Ruby. Now, we get all excited about self-driving cars, and you know, and I think there's a huge future in that. Uh, listening to what Elon Musk was saying, here it comes that uh, regulations will allow completely autonomous cars by the end of 2018. Now, I, I can't help but think that drones may be where things go. I don't know, it feels like we're going Jetsons, but um, I think it's really possible. I guess you're right. The autonomous vehicle doesn't necessarily mean it's on the ground. Yeah. And I think autonomous vehicles also don't necessarily mean it's electric. If you think about big trucks and, and trains and stuff, it can also be, and I mean, airplanes um, are nearly, nearly there as well. Pilots are just left with takeoff and landing. Everything else is autonomous. So yeah, it's only natural for, for drones. And if NASA can use JavaScript to program the spacesuits, then yeah, I'm sure a few drones are okay. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about the, is there something you wanted to bring up about the passenger drones, Michelle? No, I just, I just found it funny that they're, um, they're making helicopters again. <laughs> Automated helicopters. <laughs> no, but, uh... They have to make a hoverboard sometime, although they've missed the back to the future mark. Yeah, that, that deadline was missed. But, I mean, aren't most uh, software or tech projects <laughs> late? And over budget. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'm having a, a look here on the prolific idea. It's, you seem to be playing with sound programming as well. Um, the Sonic Pi, and I don't know what you use for the Conway's Rave of Life. I'm a bit, I'm not going to click on that while we actually recording audio <laughs> but um what's your interest in in programming programming music yeah so i um, i think it's more of a sort of relaxation i like to do a bit of music production um when i have the time it sort of i don't know gets my mind off everything that's happening so i also like to tinker with new things so i found out about sonic pi at the ruby fusa conference in in february actually never heard of it before and i started playing with it and i really liked it i really wanted to make something cool so i ended up uh, it was actually one of the knowledge sharing for knowledge sharing talk with my team um, i wanted to show them this cool tool and what you can do with ruby and you can make music so i ended up making um seven nation army by white stripes with with some ruby code which was really fun nice i'll link to you link to that is it was it difficult to pick up Sonic Pi? I mean, do you have a musical background? Um, did that help, if you do? Uh, no, not really. I wouldn't say, like, you know, I don't have any formal training or anything in, in that field. Uh, it's more, you know, based on the interest, you do research, you learn about the different notes and, you know, which ones work together and what makes a good melody, what makes a good song, what components are involved. And I think... Honestly, if you just spend a, a weekend learning about that stuff, you could probably also do something really cool with with Sonic Pi. I remember that was a cool talk. It was it was Calvin Smith that gave it. If I have it yeah. right, I hope I've got it right. Yeah, it was. Him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it was well done, well done. I mean, your music is 
a different challenge for me at least i have so much admiration for people that can do it even just playing rocksmith is a challenge for these fingers <laughs> but i'll get there practice makes perfect or well, perfect practice makes perfect yeah that's right but it, i must say it's rewarding uh, when you do something like that that's so far out of your comfort zone and you kind of get it right i don't know if you felt the same with the pie but for me at least sometimes in, in those songs some songs i just managed to get like the tiniest little streak and it's like it's amazing and then i realize i can't feel my fingers anymore and i've got to put the guitar down <laughs> i think with the code it's more more of like solving the problem so it's similar to how we think with most of what we do on a daily basis so the the problem is i want to make seven nation army and then you find a solution that gives you seven nation army so I think playing an instrument is, is a bit different to working with Sonic Pi, where playing an instrument, you know, you need some creativity, especially if you want to write your own music. But you're right, it's very rewarding. Even mimicking an iconic song or something that you really enjoy, it's very rewarding. And I think that's why it can be relaxing as well. I've met so many colleagues and people in our industry that play guitar or play piano or do music production or like DJing. And I think it's, it's something that for some of the guys in the industry, they find rewarding and relaxing probably because of the way we think. Yeah. I, were you at the evening of mastery that driven hosted? No, I don't think so. So one thing that uh, Jim Sachi mentioned there is one of the things that he particularly looks for in interviews now is whether the candidate has um a hobby that requires practice in order to maintain mastery of so music is what one of the things he really looks for is does the person take the time to practice their instrument and that directly links back to whether they're they may be a good programmer yeah so that's something interesting that, something that requires deliberate practice yes a discipline no, that is interesting hmm. Ten thousand hours outliers principle yeah <laughs> Shema, I actually feel for Malcolm Gladwell. People are taking that thing so out of proportion. He just oh, yeah. <laughs> grabbed the number as like as a like got you have to practice a lot. Like that's all it meant. And obviously I have a lot of support around you as well, because the people that actually end up with the ten thousand hours, there was no way they could do it alone. There was a, a nice Freakonomics um episode a few weeks ago being uh Malcolm Gladwell where he covered it. I'll add a link for that to the show note. It, it helps demystify where this ten thousand hours comes from and what it actually means. Yeah. Uh, no people have taken it completely out. He also gave a very good presentation around the same time that he launched the book uh about uh why do planes crash? And I think that helped capture the heart of what he was really trying to say about the ten thousand hours. I'll also link to that in the show notes. Yes. In a way this actually brought made me think of the a code off is also a great way to do this kind of deliberate practice. You're not forced to do, even though you might be using the same tools, if you're tackling a different problem, um, yeah, it gets you out of that, that comfort zone and you need to, to, to burn through it. So, Rizal, do you think you guys will get 10,000 hours worth of code off done in a few years' time? Well, I'm not too sure about that. But, <laughs> the combined um, effort of everybody. <laughs> yeah, maybe with the combined effort. I think at the moment there's about... 40 people that have forked the repo and um, and have worked on on some of the problems. What's really cool is that it's not just local guys. It's guys all around the world that, that have been submitting some code and shown interest in it, which I find quite, um, quite nice that we can all work together and um, 
work on the same little problems and learn new things and learn from each other. That's also an amazing thing, actually, of the day and age we live in. It's nearly impossible to do anything locally anymore, no matter how hard you try. Yeah, I think, I think I mean, we have a lot to learn from from guys overseas and guys that aren't locally here. But I think they also have a lot to learn from us. So I think one of one of the things I try to encourage in, in almost everything I do is collaboration, whether it's it's dealing with a client or working with my team or a community initiative. Collaboration, I think, is the key to solving problems better and um, coming up with better ideas. Um, so I think, yeah, the more people involved and the more variety in that, I think the better you're going to be at the end of it. But things really are global, though. I mean, you, you, as you say, you can't have something like this that's exclusive to South Africa or something like that. I mean, as you're recording the podcast, I'm sitting here in London at the moment, and my ping back to the server is 190 milliseconds. L London to Joburg in 190 milliseconds. The world has changed. I got a mail from one of our previous guests who's also in London, Riaz, and he said he bumped into somebody there that listened to the podcast. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> we, it's, no, everywhere, like, but it's also nice. I think we, we constantly look out towards the States and to Europe, and you go like, yes, these people definitely set the trains and they're smart. You know, like kind of the imposter syndrome kicks in. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of nice to see, our efforts for collaboration spilling out somebody else is looking back at the work we do the work you guys are doing it's rewarding it's and gratifying i really like it but um i also wanted to ask if you have any tips for for collaboration for spurring that on kickstarting it so if somebody's got a, a team that that need to work together um, a bit better in the context i mean <laughs> i guess the easy way people think out of it is to go play paintball you know, do something funny like that, all these team building exercises. But I guess like the, so you guys started with these presentations. What what else is there other than the knowledge sharing that you've seen work that people can take back to their teams? I think for me, there's two aspects to that. So on the one side of it, within the development team, I think it's very important to create an identity for your team. So for an example, um, the my the teams at intellect we we call ourselves the jedi academy and the reason for that is a lot of the guys that uh, joined intellect came to us and we would mentor them and train them um help them get settled in and give them you know something to be productive on uh before they get assigned to a team or allocated to a project so um we, we yeah we came up with the name Jedi Academy and I think over the years now it's become something that they're sort of proud of they stand up for it they you know they uphold those values of helping people and mentoring people and sharing ideas debating ideas whether it gets heated or not so I think that whole team identity and together working towards something is very important and um, in what we've done. I think the whole team strives for high quality in, in anything they do, whether it's something technical, whether it's um, client-related, whatever it is, I think they strive for high quality. And the more you nurture that within that team and it gains that identity, as new people come on, it rubs off on them. So from a you know dev team perspective, I think that's very important. Um, the knowledge sharing, doing things together doesn't have to be 
team building exercises. You can go on a lunch run together and go get lunch together, come back and eat it in the kitchen or in the pause area. All of those small things sort of um, help you bring your team together and create that identity. And then I think from a more dealing with people, dealing with clients perspective, that brings me to one of the things I've been passionate about for the last couple of years, and that's design thinking. And uh, I don't know how much you guys know about that concept. Mm, it's a good segue. Go for it. Cool. So, um, yeah, design thinking at its core is basically communicating with people visually and um, collaborating with, with people visually. So it's also get, getting an understanding of, of what people do and what people think and interpreting that and ensuring that everyone is on the same page. So if I could summarize it, uh, it's taking your, your business problems or your organization problems, whatever you're trying to solve, and taking the people that are going to be using whatever you're building to, um, to solve that problem and finding the compromise between that. And the things you do to sort of uh, encourage collaboration is a lot of drawing, a lot of um, talking while standing up. So I always try to say less meetings and more workshops because what I see out of a workshop is I see everyone in that room being there for a purpose. I see everyone in that room standing up, listening, drawing, expressing themselves and contributing to that session. Whereas in a lot of the meetings I'm sure you've been in, there's a boardroom full of people two or three people would be talking and the rest don't really need to be there or don't really add any value to that session. So I think small activities like that make a huge difference when you're, when you're trying to share ideas, when you're trying to gain an understanding and actually create the most optimal solution for whatever problem you're trying to solve, especially when dealing with your client. So is this the kind of, um, how can I put this? Does this fall under the UX blanket kind of where you were building up personas with the client and setting up the language of of the project and all that kind of like high level work and then together with the developers obviously so everybody can put feedback you know when that button cannot be used in that way or that tool doesn't exist yet or this or that and i guess a follow-on to that would be is um does that shortcut the need for like these half-baked mvps do you get to something more valuable in a shorter amount of time yeah, so I guess the term design thinking um, encompasses user experience as well. Um, the whole idea is to try and solve the problem, taking all of the known aspects as well as the unknown aspects into account. So, for example, a scientist will conduct an experiment based on the known variables and come out with, an, uh, with a conclusion. Whereas with design thinking, you take in the known variables and you try to research and investigate as much as you can about what you don't know and come up with the solution that way. Um, it can be applied to more than software. If you look at things like um, Tesla and SpaceX and all of these um, booming startups, they apply a lot of the principles of design thinking. So the sort of micro tasks, if I could call it, uh, that you just mentioned, like creating personas and user journeys and things like that, there are things that you can do using design thinking concepts. So um, look at design thinking as a sort of process for people rather than a process for the solution. Because um, if you follow those things and apply 
these principles to these little tasks that you're doing, you're usually going to end up with a better result. And on your question about MVPs, one of the aspects of design thinking is prototyping. So whether you're prototyping by drawing on a whiteboard or drawing on a piece of paper or creating a mock-up or creating an interactive mock-up or even creating a software prototype, that's all part of the process. Um, one of the ideas around design thinking is uh, creating iterative prototypes that you always improve that will end up being your end product. However, there's many ways of prototyping. It doesn't mean that's the right way to do it. It's all dependent on the context that you're working in, the, the problem you're trying to solve, the people you're building it for. So I think there's a lot to, to think about before you choose the micro tasks that you're going to do to come up with the solution. Okay, I think I had my, my pyramid my inverted. I thought it falls under UX, not that it encompasses UX and so much more. Hence the micro tasks. That's pretty interesting. What 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 sent you down that road? How did you discover design thinking and learn about it? So I don't. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think I I implemented some of these these things um, in the work that I've done in the past, and just after trying to keep up to date with the different new processes and techniques um, that are emerging, I came across this topic, which basically um, listed most of the things that I've been I've been doing already. So it was basically structuring and labeling some of the things that have worked um, that I've tried, um, and I found that quite interesting. And then I just researched other organizations and other projects where it has been used and how widely it's been used and where the successes are, where the failures are, and things like that. That's nice. It's kind of like when you discover... Um that going for all those design patterns for your code. And then you mm -hmm. realize quite accidentally, you've been doing a lot of them, probably not as polished <laughs> as you should. Yeah. So it's strange how we tend to discover the same patterns over and over again, everywhere. Sorry, my version of learning the Ganga 4 design patterns was, oh, that's the pattern that he was following that I thought was stupid. <laughs> uh, so you were mentioning like, um, Elon Musk and, and like as a kind of a design thinker, would this high loop idea of his be kind of along those lines? Like there's not really a prototype or anything. It just goes like, here's something big to think about with all its impacts and players and ideas of what it would cost and all this kind of now world go run with it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good example. Um, one of the things around design thinking is having a goal and working towards that goal. So in this case, if the goal is the Hyperloop, you do everything you can. Um, even if the technology is not ready, you invent the technology um, to achieve that goal. And I mean, uh, he's done it with the Tesla. He's done it with SpaceX. Um, that's why I like, I take a lot of inspiration from him and I, I often reference what he's done in those different industries with those products um, when I talk about design thinking. Another aspect to it is the design aspect, so the aesthetics or the appeal. Um, if you look at SpaceX, and they're now making spacesuits that is designed by the guy that designed the costumes for Tron and Batman and Iron Man, what's, that's making space travel appealing to the general public, whereas years ago we wouldn't think that it's possible to you know, one day go to Mars, whereas now it's it's slowly becoming a reality 
um, that could happen in the in the next few years. Would you book a seat on Mars One? Probably not. I think um, I forgot who it was, but they said I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he said if you think going to Mars is a good idea, go and spend a year in the Arctic with just an oxygen tank and some food and see if you enjoy it. Cause that's probably how Mars is going to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he, when he speaks, you, you need to pay attention. <laughs> no, I was listening to an interview with Elon Musk and they asked him, would you be on the first flight over to Mars? And he said, probably not. No, it's a d- different kind of pioneer. Um, yeah. That gets on that mission. Eh? <laughs> it's a very one-way ticket. I don't know. Yeah. No, currently it take, it's going to take about six months to get there, and eventually apparently it will get down to about three months. Yeah, I think you're going to need a guy like Matt Damon to to do that mission. Yeah, and I mean, they'll all get him back. Yes, I love there was this, uh, after the Martian came out, where they said, like, the amount of money um, Hollywood has spent on saving Matt Damon from weird situations. So, like, saving Private Ryan... The Martian. Um, what? Uh, what? Uh, there was something else. I can't remember. As was it? Uh, it was Interstellar. Interstellar. There we go. <laughs> well, look, he has the experience now, so maybe he's the best candidate. Yep. <laughs> oh man, that's a funny. Oh, and, sure. And in um, some way, you can also put the born identity in there. I. Was he not the victim more than he? Never mind. I, it's been yeah. too long and I haven't watched depends, the last depends few on ones. How, depends on how you, how you look at it. Oh, COVID agent. Yeah, I reckon you can put it in there. <laughs> uh, well, guys, is there anything else um, we should kind of cover? Like, I enjoyed getting kind of behind the veil, seeing all the stuff you're up to. Um, I guess from the last thing I would want to know is just like, where do you get the time motivation and inspiration to pull all this off because i mean at the surface it looks like you do nothing at your day job and you just spend all your energy setting all this up yeah it's 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 quite tough trying to implement or get all the ideas i have going but somehow it all seems to work out um i do have a lot of support from intellect uh with regards to prolific idea what i'm doing with that is we've got guys that join intellect we actually have quite a lot of people joining every month now the problem that we're we're faced with is trying to skill the guys up in some of the specific technologies or specific areas um that they'll be working in so what we've done is some of the ideas for products that i may have um we get the guys that aren't allocated to to work on it and basically they get to learn we get to mentor um the guys who get to get them in touch with the culture, the company culture, and really get them settled in before they join a team or join a project. Um, and during that time, they get to work on one of the various projects that I have running, which in turn, um, at the end of the day, would give give some, give me some products to to put out there and see if they're they're feasible or not. No, it just <clears throat> makes it easier to experiment. Yeah, definitely. So I think one of where the idea initially came from was years ago, I I wanted to build this little knowledge sharing or blogging platform internally for, for everyone at Intellect. And what ended up happening is the guys that came in, we'd work on that for a bit um, and learn different frameworks and different uh, techniques. And then they'd be placed on a team or a project. And that happened for a few years. And I think there's probably over 
70 contributors to that project. And that ended up being the internal blog that we use. So that sort of, I exhausted that project. There's, there's no more features to add or things to do. And, um, I have ideas for, yeah, for other things. So they're mainly around productivity and, and motivating people to, to be more productive. So, um, I've taken some of those ideas and we started building projects around them. Um, see how it goes. Well, wow, so even more stuff to look forward to coming out of Prolific Idea. Yeah, I think soon we'll be sort of marketing one of the the apps. It's called HiveMind. It's basically a, a collaborative mind mapping tool. So I think I took a lot of inspiration from Trello. Trello's done a fantastic job taking Kanban and making it available to anyone. I mean, people plan their holidays on it and other people do their sprint planning on it, which I find amazing. So the the sort of goal with HiveMind is to do the same, but for mind mapping and um, to encourage collaboration, to encourage visual expression of your ideas, and also for it to be used um, in any context that you want to represent your thoughts on your recipes that you're cooking or your um, a kid's extramural activities or your blog article, or keeping all of the content for a project you're working on. So I think a lot of that was inspired from Trello and how well they've they've executed that. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. how that comes out. But it's, it's so great also that you've got the backing, uh, in uh, the buy-in from the guys at Intellect on this as well. Kudos to them. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, it's been great. I think... Um, at Intellect, um, the guys are very open to your ideas and finding mutual value in any initiative you're you're trying to start or, or something you want to do. So in this case, I mean, I enjoy mentoring people. I enjoy training and teaching. So I think the guys coming in get to learn learn a lot, and I get you know something tangible out of it that may or may not work at the end of the day, but. I think it's that journey and that process that's that's quite important where you you learn a lot. Yeah, and I think from our side, I just want to say thanks for so openly sharing a lot of these journeys and and you know being involved in the community in in such a big way. I mean, it's just out of nowhere suddenly you were like at all the same meetups and and conferences and presenting and engaging people, and it was it's been awesome to see it. Um, come to here and I'm really looking forward to seeing ghosts because it sounds like you still have um what's it like a lot you get a lot of movement in that gas pedal you can still put your foot down and go still shifting through the gearbox yes that's that's much better thanks <laughs> <laughs> had to help you out there yeah thanks I think um I don't know I, I just mainly I just like working with people and chatting to people and you know um speaking about ideas and sharing ideas so you know, it's not really a chore to me. It's just um, like doing the things you like. And I mean, if if you don't go after the things you like, then you're probably just going to end up miserable. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love how we've got so many of these community initiatives that are that are able to just work together with each other. Uh, prolific idea. You know, when I, when I started seeing the stuff that you'd been the code offs and things like that coming up in Slack, it was really inspiring to just see more of it happening. Yeah, I think, you know, on that topic, what I've I've seen recently that I really, really like is that all of these different 
community initiatives are are working together. And one one example of that is is DevConf that happened this year. Mm. And I mean, before this, there were you know countless different user groups in Gauteng and in South Africa. But this year, they all band together and made an awesome conference, which I found amazing. And I think the more of the, the more we do that kind of stuff, the the better our local community is going to grow. And I think you know, I think we're already there on the level of of the guys overseas. I just think, but to, by doing it together, we're going to get more exposure. We're going to get you know more attention um, on the community and on the the guys in that community. So I really like the the fact that we're all sort of working together on this. Yeah, no, me too. Well, thank you. I think we should uh, head off into picks before this becomes a, a really long show. We'll definitely have to do a part two. <laughs> Technically, this is part two. It depends on how you define part one. <laughs> we'll see what part of that it survives to edit. <laughs> we'll check. This has oh, been... that, it could be part three. I'm thinking about the intellect challenge that we spoke about. Of course, of we've, course. We've, we've had the show around before. Yeah. So, right. shall we start doing some picks, Kenny? Why don't you kick us off and throw the ball into your court? Okay. No, oh, that's perfectly fine. Um, so I've been doing some DIY projects at home, like trying to make things and upcycle stuff from from old products, um, and parts and and stuff slung around the house. Uh, I've got uh, some Dremel tools, um, that I got off take a lot. It, they are absolutely fantastic. If you need to have a, like a hand rotary tool that can cut through rebar or polished copper or sand stuff, engrave, cut, um, it's a fantastic little thing. And I've got this Dremel Versatip thing, which is just like a little handheld uh, flamethrower almost. It's like just butane gas powered. You can solder with it, cut with it, um, focus. Uh, hot air if you need to melt stuff like specific plastics or if you want to peel paint these things are amazing um they are not particularly cheap but they're not really super expensive either they're very well made german um products and they are just fantastic and they pack away neatly and they're small for a small house like ours it's absolutely fantastic so if you need to make and build and break and cut and saw and grind and polish and all the stuff have a look at the dremel products i'll put some links in the show notes that's mine. Rochelle? I actually forgot about the whole pecs thing. Sorry. Um, can't really think of something off the top of my head right now. Um, so I'll help you out there. Contribute to the code-offs. Yeah, I think, actually, yeah, that's a good point. So um, we've got the code-offs happening every week. Uh, it'd be cool if you get involved. I think the other thing that's, that's happening is the AI meetups. So if you go on to Meetup and have a look at the the AIZA page, uh, we're doing some cool stuff there where we're learning together. Um, and yeah, that's about it, I think. I think lastly, when HiveMind comes out, uh, there's a a prototype up there at hivemind.prolificidea.com. So if you want to tinker with it, you can go have a look and give me feedback. But other than that, I don't really have anything else off the top of my head. Well, they're great. <laughs> This looks awesome looking at this HiveMind site now. Very nice. Yeah, we, we're we currently just ironing out um, a few bugs. I don't know, like, you know, it's better to ship early than ship perfectly. So we're just ironing out the last few things and then we'll we'll put it out there for the world to, to try out. Um, my pick is uh, the, the Griffin laptop stand. 
got one of those today actually thanks to amazon one day um and it's it's really such an amazing laptop stand just in terms of uh, just being sturdy it's really stable the laptop's not going to fall off the thing and having a laptop stand means you actually get a little bit more desk room and it stops your neck from hurting as i found so yeah get, get a good laptop stand but i really like the griffin laptop stand is that is that the one with just the two silver u-beams and the clear plastic pieces that tie them up together exactly yes that one it is so stable so that's my diy project at the moment i'm doing redoing that steampunkish with rebar and copper (laughs) all right picks in slack where it didn't happen (laughs) i'll throw something in there (laughs) cool just on on that topic um have you guys tried standing desks at all I haven't yet. We've got one in the office. Um, ben uses it from time to time, but I haven't yet. It, uh, it doesn't appeal to me. So a story about that. Um, our CEO, Grisoskuru, has a this human-scale adjustable standing desk. So just pull a lever, the thing, uh, and you can lift it up, and you can stand and work, and then you can pull the lever, drop it back down, and sit down and work. Really nice, actually, to... Um, to just have the flexibility of, you know, I'm getting, uh, it's getting painful to sit, let me stand up for a while. And two seconds later, you're standing and working. That's pretty cool. I've, I've also, I wanted to try a standing desk, but just never get a, get the chance to. No, but it is really nice to just have that flexibility. If you, if you can get a desk that you can just uh, flip between. Yeah, I think I, I saw one last year. Um, at Jason, they say they had like an adjustable. That was that desk. That was that know, desk stand. Sort of. um, that that they had there that you can uh, put on top of a desk. Yes, yeah, it's yes, a bit yes. different. And I think you you could just drop it if you want to sit or or um, lift it up if you're going to stand. It was it was pretty cool, but I think it was also quite pricey for for a desk stand. Yeah, the human scale ones that I've seen here are. I mean, they're they're purpose built that you can adjust them. And it's on hydraulics, so it's very easy to move it up and down. It Sounds fancy. Also costs a fortune. Uh, <laughs> let's yeah, not talk about imagine. that right now. Uh, exchange rates and all. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks for thanks for the discussion. Definitely enjoyed that. Hey, Rochelle, thanks for the time. Mm, yeah, thanks. Well, thanks, guys. Show notes for this episode can be found on zadefchat.io. As always. Ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at ZADevChat or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the ZADevChat podcast and we'll see you next time.